Okay, so welcome to the next episode of Pegasus Radio and the next in the series of Meet the Boss. I'm joined today by Mark Lacey of Alinea Consulting. Welcome, Mark. Morning, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, I wonder if we can just start. I'm sure, to be fair, certainly anybody in the London construction market or most in the London construction market will be familiar with Alinea. You are, you do have a pretty decent presence. Uh, you've got a decent marketing team behind you, I'm sure. Could you just give, for those who do not know the business, a bit of an overview of the business, I guess, headcount, main sectors, et cetera? Sure. Okay. So I guess by way of background, we, we started in uh, 2013. So we're currently in our, our eighth year of trading. Uh, we've grown to a critical mass of about 100 strong. And it was always our ambition when we started to become a business of about 100 strong. And we've always been careful and considered to be not a business that's, that's, too, that's too large. And we're very mindful about what the perils are that come with, with growth. Mm-hmm. We, in terms of uh, sectors, we are largely a private sector focused business. We, we probably do about sort of 30 to 40% of our, our business in, in the commercial offices sector. Beyond that, we have, we have a good sort of diet of work in, in residential at the sort of mass market and particularly the build to rent part of the market where we think we can we've got a really, really strong specialism. Mm-hmm. We, we do quite a bit of retail work and uh, the sort of challenges that that sector faces at the moment, in effect, might, might present some opportunities for us around trying to reinvent some of that retail space. We've historically worked for uh, a couple of the sort of premium retailers. And then we, we started working in the public sector over the course of the past 12 months. And that's been something very interesting for us. And it's something which we think there's, it, it presents huge opportunity and, and potential growth for us. And we think it's a sector that could benefit from uh, the skills that we have to offer. Okay, excellent. And which areas within the public sector, Mark? Uh, I can't. I can't really talk about it too much because okay. uh, it, it's quite sensitive. But it's largely London-based public sector work around um, offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we think there are there are other avenues that we intend to pursue in due course. And I guess the other thing I haven't said about us, Paul, if I can, is that we are we only do cost management. Um, right. We we we've been very clear and very considered on that, mm-hmm. and we've. Some of our sort of collaborators and friends in the London market have sort of tried to sort of uh, ask us to consider other other things along the way, but we, we we've always stayed true to our our passion and our belief, which is to be to, to try and be the, the the best in your field at one discipline. Mm. And I think there's a big uh, for, for me anyway. Certainly, what I the evidence that I see of businesses that have grown in a sustainable manner is that there has been a move almost away from the one-stop shop these days and that the businesses that seem to be, in my view, doing well are the ones who focus very much on what they're specialists at rather than trying to be all things to all all organisations. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, clearly we think that's relevant because that, that's, that's what our business focus is. But equally, there are, there are an awful lot of mm-hmm. very good businesses that are larger than us and mm-hmm. our sort of key competitors in the London market are larger businesses than us. Doesn't make mm-hmm. them any better businesses, doesn't make them any worse. Uh, they just offer something different to the clients who want to go for them. What's important to us, we feel, is our is the fact that we are that we're a partnership. We are we're, we're owned by six partners. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a, a very strong uh, culture and 
ethos that we talk about a lot that are very important to us and we we try and we we use our our core values as 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 principles to sort of guide us and guide our people along the way now that might sound like rhetoric but we think it's really important and all our conferences and all our key strategic meet, strategic meetings all really start with and come back to our, our, our core values and the principles which, which guide us. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So Mark, how has, how has the business coped? I guess we, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I'd, I'd rather talk about going forward rather than worrying about what, what has happened, but how has the business coped over the last six months? You know, how have you adapted Okay, I mean, it's, I mean, I was thinking about this prior to coming on this call, Paul, and I was just, I just talked to you about how important our, our sort of cultural ethos is to us as a business, and it was absolutely heartbreaking when, when we went into lockdown and mm. and we had to sort of close the office because, I think, I think we get a real, we get a real buzz as a business about coming coming together as a business and celebrating things as a business. So not seeing my colleagues face-to-face for a period of, of time and mm. indeed and other people in the industry for me personally was a real real wrench. It's been really good coming back in the office over the last sort of three months or so. Uh, it's about sort of 20, 25 people in the office today, which is good. As a business, I think we've been pleasantly surprised with how well we've managed to embrace the remote working our people have really stepped up and done a really admirable job under difficult circumstances. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things unfold over the next the next week, given the announcement Mr. Gove has made this morning. But mm-hmm. um, I think sitting here right now, we we we've got we've got a lot of work on, and I think um, it's been really. I mean, inevitably there is a recession in front of us, but I think mm-hmm. we're all trying to figure out at the moment. What, what shape and form that that might take, and somebody at the weekend used the, the term to me a K-shaped recession, which I haven't yet heard before. But no, you on me. Okay, so what? I mean, what do you think the opportunities are? Opportunities and challenges, I guess, over the next twelve to eighteen months for the industry in terms of, you know, how can it move forward? What What do you? I guess where do you see the opportunities for you as a business in terms of maybe sectors or opportunities to to make a real impact? Okay. I think I think for us as a business, we're we're really focused on uh, staying really close to our our sort of key clients. Mm-hmm. Our, our entire business strategy is based based upon gaining re- repeat work from mm-hmm. leading clients, and we do that by doing a really good job for those clients in simple terms. Mm-hmm. And we're absolutely going to stay really close to our clients and help our clients as much as possible. Uh, as they navigate whatever the challenges are, so that's first and foremost. But mm-hmm. equally, I've talked about briefly some other sort of sectors and opportunities around retail reinvention. We see mm-hmm. the life sciences sector being really strong for us, mm-hmm. and I think for some period of time we've been planning international work and international opportunities, and okay. we've got a fantastic collection of collaborators around the world um, from our time in our former business. Mm-hmm. And we were just starting to exploit those with some some really strong opportunities in in Europe and further afield. And we intend to um, we intend to put some more focus in, into that. Um, my partner Steve Watts is global chair of the CTBUH, mm-hmm. and 
that's a fantastic platform for us to collaborate uh, through. We've also got really strong relationships with a, a number of uh, leading key architects who have a lot of business internationally and for some time they've been challenging us to support them better around the globe and we, we think we're now in a place where we can do that. So I think you know, inevitably the UK market's going to get more challenging. Mm-hmm. I don't think the international market will ride to the rescue as it did in, in 2008. No. But, you know, we, 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 I think what we need to remember about a business of our size is that we're only 100 strong. Mm-hmm. As a business of 100 strong, uh, we can be nimble, we can move very quickly, we've got fantastic relationships, fantastic collaborations, and we can leverage that to pursue other new opportunities elsewhere so that's what we're thinking about and will that see you opening up new offices mark either either internationally or in the uk for that matter uh internationally no because we've got this fantastic array of collaborations around the world which i think has surprised us having recently over the last sort of three or four months put that together onto a piece of paper and the people who've shared it it really have really been taken taken aback by it i think the other point is, I think in the UK we've 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 had a number of opportunities elsewhere in the UK which we've we've explored, and equally like we have internationally, we've got we've got friends and collaborators in other parts of the UK. We've got uh, a series of businesses in other parts of the UK who already work with us. A business in Scotland, people in the northwest of England, and I think it's just about if clients. I think for us. Paul, it's about if clients want help in other parts of the UK and think that we've got the right skills to help them, then of course we're going to we're going to explore that. But we're not naive enough to recognise how difficult it is to break into markets. And come back to the, my punchline is absolute number one focus is being absolutely loyal and faithful to our, our key clients here in London. Good. I don't know, that, that undoubtedly is probably not a bad strategy. I think some people do. Um, I'm, I'm getting fed up with the word pivot that everyone seems to be throwing around there. And there's surely some logic in just making sure that you're good at what you're good at and, mm. and ensuring that you, you ensure you always get a decent slice of the pie that exists in the, in the London market. Yeah, and I think, I think that, that's, that's what I, I said it once, I'll say it again. Our, our, our business strategy, even when we started, was absolutely based on striving to become the best in our field and being a, uh, a sort of provider of cost management services to uh, leading clients in the London market. And notice I haven't said, I haven't said any particular sector there because I don't think we are constrained by sector. I think we specialize in major projects mm-hmm. and a lot of major projects, no matter what sector they are in have similar challenges and it's about having the right skills and the right approach and the right people that can help clients with those challenges and and that's and that that rationale has allowed us to move into other sectors and so i think it's a really important point for us really Mm -hmm. okay and so in terms of growth plans mark obviously you said you you know when you set the business up you wanted to get to 100 you've achieved that what what, what's the what's the plans for the next um I guess, you know, five years and you know, obviously you must have some real talented, aspiring individuals in your business. You know, where, where do they go with the business? Okay. There's two good, two really good questions there. So mm. I think, uh, I think a, sub- a subject of, I mean, the subject of growth is something which we as a business 
have wrestled with an awful lot and we're very we're very open and transparent with our people mm-hmm. um, through our our conferences and our planning about the strategic direction we want the business to move in. I think for all the right reasons that are relevant to us, that makes our business really good around our our culture, our ethos, the control, the visibility of our partners across projects, the business that our clients, the size and feel of the business that our clients want to do work with. We feel compelled that we don't want to grow Mm -hmm. too much more than where we are now. We, in terms of what that means for succession planning and, and, and growth, there's a there's a good age delta between the sort of partners, okay. um, which is which is good. So that that provides natural organic headroom, and I think you, you, you can't lose sight of the fact that I think you know we've we've we, we we've had some people join us who are, who are who are fantastic people that have. I think they've chosen to go and do other things because they saw opportunities elsewhere. For example, within client side, and mm-hmm. people will always always um, come and go. And uh, I think I think we have to recognise that. But I think our the stability of our of our team, of our community, our people has always been something that we've uh, taken great pride in. We've got a very low sort of staff turnover, which is. Mm-hmm which is really good. Yeah, it's noticeable, actually, yes, agreed. I think that means, so what does that mean to me? It means that we're, you know, we treat our people with respect and fairness and we're open, we're transparent and try to be. Mm. And I think what, what does that mean for our clients? Well, it means for our clients that we've got a, you know, a stable team and people mm. who are, who are going to be around for the longevity of their projects. Yeah, good. Okay, excellent. And then... It would be remiss of me not to ask you, Mark, given that you are, I appreciate your earlier point that, you know, you are an organization who can deliver across multiple sectors. Mm. But it's fair to say that Alinea is fairly, or certainly maybe in your beginnings, was fairly synonymous with the commercial sector. Mm. Um, And you've obviously got some individuals who are absolute experts within that space. What's your take, obviously, on the the kind of statement flying around that the office is dead and, and, you know, there's going to be fundamental change people are going to work from home etc what's your what's your view of that mm, yep okay so as i said so i mean pretty much ever since we started to where we are now offices have been a you know a really key sector for us mm. i think i said to you earlier there about 40 to about 40 percent of our turnover at the mm-hmm. moment and and that's largely a lot of that is sort of large major projects iconic mm. projects mm. doing most of the sort of tall buildings in the sort of city of london at the moment and i i, I think i think that um there's been an awful lot written up about this by people far more qualified than me to comment i don't think the office is dead and, and i say that because i think uh it, it's a fantastic place for businesses to come together, it gives them a sense of identity, places for people to collaborate, and and it's and I, and I think based upon our own evidence and the sort of some of the comments that our people are saying to us, there's a real well-being benefit for, in, for people for being for being in the office and to have a place where they can come and work uh, um, away from from being in their own studies or bedrooms at home. So. And I think if you if you just think about some of the sort of things that I'm I, that I'm that I'm seeing and experiencing on projects that I'm involved with, and sort of how 
architects and clients or, or um, grappling with the issue of what is the future office, a really sort of prominent forward-thinking architect who we're working with has said, well, the key to the future success of the office is about making the office a better place to be than being at home. And that encompasses many, many things from well-being to facilities to, um, to amenity provision to quality of work environment. Yeah. Okay. Spot on. And so, do you think, obviously, too early? Do you think the, the design of offices will change? Obviously, at, at Cat B level, I'm sure it will change. But you know, the full shell structure, Cat A. Do you think that will that will have to change, or do you think everyone's getting a bit too overexcited about uh, all the potential change that could come? Well, if you if you cast your mind back pre pre COVID, I mean, mm. 12, 18, 18 months ago, there's been an awful lot of evolution and progression in the design of offices over the last couple of years anyway so yes and, and a natural move towards office buildings being more sustainable uh, the reintroduction of fresh air different heating and cooling systems uh, more amenity space the sort of suspended ceiling being the sort of traditional ceiling in the office is is is, is probably no more certainly within london mm-hmm. so i think that there has been a natural evolution towards the office specification changing anyway i think what covid's doing is it's just accelerating that and it's bringing a lot of uh things into sort of sharp focus but one thing is for sure is we can't continue to design increasing levels of flexibility and resilience into offices because from a commercial point of view from an appraisal point of view it's just not going to stack up so it's about having a proper debate about that, that as well yeah, and can find a pragmatic solution. And certainly a, a really interesting point that we found, Paul, is just, I mean, talking to our people over the sort of past couple of weeks is we've mm-hmm. had a lot of our younger people in the office have been saying to us how pleased they are that the office is open uh, in light of the government's recent advice. They're saying to us, don't close it, please keep it open. And they're, they're getting a lot of benefit from seeing their work colleagues, from seeing other people, from having face-to-face conversations the office is COVID secure. Mm. So I, 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 you know, I'm kind of hoping that as we move through the autumn, that the, the government advice doesn't change further and we can still continue to operate from our office. And certainly we're finding that a lot of clients are starting to want face-to-face meetings, face-to-face workshops. I think there's huge benefit in that. So hopefully, provided we can navigate through the sort of current challenges, that that, that carries on. Agreed. I think one comment I've generally had from a lot of individuals I've spoken to in the industry is that whilst they don't struggle necessarily too much with with dealing with existing clients and existing projects, business development generally has proved very painful without the ability to actually sit down over a coffee and do it face to face rather than uh, try to do it over Zoom or a phone call. I think that's spot on, Paul. And I think um, I've had a number of people reach out to me over over the past three or four weeks and have said to me, I've spotted from some social media post or I've spotted from an email to Joe Bloggs that, that you're in the office. Why don't you pop over and see me for a coffee? Great. Brilliant. And I think just seeing people face face to face and um, talking about things face to face is really positive. And certainly the one thing I've really tried to focus on since 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 March is is I've I've used the telephone an awful lot more than using mm. email or mm. indeed than using video conference calls. And I think mm. having personal conversations with, with people on the sort of telephone, I think is a very good sub- substitute for sending emails. So I'm really consciously trying to sort of take myself 
back to speaking to people an awful lot, a lot more. I mean, I've, I've always done that anyway, but trying to do that more, be more conscious about that. Well, we all we do say, don't we, that e- emails are, are not great sometimes because you can completely misinfer what the individual's trying to get across on an email in terms of their the tone and language because you can't hear the tonality in their voice or indeed you can't sit across from them and see their body language. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said for getting back to the basics, I think. I think it's very easy to have a difficult conversation with somebody by email. And I think mm. your point is spot on. It, it's not personal. You can't have the same conversation that you can have face-to-face or certainly on, on, on the phone. I'm not saying for one minute speaking to, to, to people on VC or by telephone is any substitute for face-to-face conversations. It isn't. But for me personally, I've just really, I've, I've really in, enjoyed reconnecting more with, with my telephone uh, over the last six months, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Perfect. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Um, and then lastly, Mark, what's your view on how technology is going to affect the industry over the next decade? There's obviously been a lot of debate, I guess, around modern methods of construction. Um, there's been a lot of debate about how you know software, everything will, will change the way we construct things, but equally balanced by the fact that the industry changes very slowly, doesn't it? I think certainly in the contracting world. What's your, t- yes. what's your take over the next decade? How's it, how's it going to change? Okay. Okay. So, so I was speaking earlier this morning to a um, a leading <clears throat> UK contractors uh, leadership team on mm. a subject, and I I coined a a really interesting piece that I saw in the Harvard Business Review a few weeks ago. That COVID isn't a black swan event; that it's a black elephant event. Okay. And I'm not going to go into what I can go and and. What what, what 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 I think that that means for construction is that actually it's an industry that is constantly talking about how it's going to change and reinvent itself. It's constantly trying to find new things and ideas and initiatives and and trends, and they are all very important. But what hopefully this black elephant moment will do is it will, it will prompt a change. It will prompt a change in, in uh, emphasis in, in, mm-hmm. key, in, key, uh, in key issues and key areas. You talked about innovation there, and I, I, think there's an, I think quite rightly there's an awful lot of positive movement to trying to, to automate and um, make the industry more reliant upon off-site, off-site construction and embracing technology but i think and we believe as a business that actually there's an awful lot of the sort of basic things that we need to be embracing and trying to address like basically building trust Mm -hmm. and improving the behaviors for how we um operate and interact and behave and contract as an industry so we think there's an awful lot culturally that needs to be changed uh, and, and certainly that's what we'd like to to uh, to see this um, crisis be, be a, a catalyst for in terms of technology should I just talk to you about that and yes, my please, yeah, yeah. For a second so, so so we have a we have an ambition to be a a a, 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 a data and digital led cost management um, firm Mm -hmm. what does that mean it means that uh we want to by the end of this current financial year we want all our teams and people in in the office measuring 
seamlessly from BIM. Mm-hmm. I think we, we currently embrace BIM and Revit measurement um, a lot in our office, but we want to have it fully embedded in our business. And our, our goal beyond next year is then to get our cost data link, linked to and talking to our digital models on projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where do I ultimately hope we can see that go on in the same way that you'd have an architect and an engineer's model on a project, or you might have a, a cost manager's bin model on a project mm-hmm. that's linked to the principal designer's models. And if we're able to federate and populate that with data, then we can be extremely responsive about how we're able to convey cost information to our clients. And what that doesn't mean is fees are less. Mm. What that means is it frees up our time to make more of an impact where we're able to make an impact around Mm -hmm. workshops, around uh, procurement, around doing things where we can add demonstrable value rather than relying too much on the automation side of our industry. Mm. And you think the, the, the wider supply chain will embrace that and indeed the client base will embrace that? Because obviously, I guess BIM has been pushed primarily by the public sector to begin with. Obviously, it's, it's entering the private sector more and more. Do you think there's the, the willingness, I guess, across the whole supply chain to, to embrace that and, and spend the money they need to spend in their businesses to, to make it a reality? I think it's I think that's a good question, Paul. I think I think it's patchy. Mm. I think it's, the take up is patchy. Um, we, I mean, we, for us as a business, there are there are huge benefits to be had by working in a digital arena by being mm. able to just accuracy, speed, responsiveness, um, and ultimately, you know, I, I think. If, if, if we can get to a place where we're able to eradicate coordination risk and um, present a better package of information to the market for procurement, that has to be a positive thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm simplifying it, Paul, but sure, sure. that has to be a positive thing and that has to be where we want to get to. Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot, we, 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 and I think, I think what's been really interesting for us um, is that since we've come back after lockdown, we've, erad- we've pretty much eradicated paper from our, from our office. Mm-hmm. And in effect, coming back to that, that black elephant moment yes. and what that black elephant moment yeah, has made yeah, for yeah, yeah. a linear as a business, yes. that we've been able to go, right, clean desk policy. And, you know, it's worked and it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't need to have or be reliant upon paper. No. Absolutely. Good. So, um, hmm. that's been positive for us anyway, I should say. Well, hopefully for the, yeah, the industry just needs to keep moving that way. I, I still just question how quickly um, it will move through the supply chain, but we, we shall see. We shall see. And hopefully, hopefully, like you said, it's the catalyst that, that it's needed. Well, I, and, and, I, and I think the other big thing that, that's, that, that we're really getting our heads around at the moment and we're finding it really exciting is, is being able to contribute proactively to what the, the challenge that clients face around um, achieving net carbon zero. Yes. Yeah. And by having your your by having capability around around BIM and being able to have a BIM model, we're able to componentize the parts or extract the component parts that we need, such that we're able to more efficiently. Um, measure if that's the right word mm. um, the 
the the the, the components to assess um, what the embodied carbon is on a project, and that's a big focus for us at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and how the building is going to be used going forward, I guess, as well, because that's the that's the yeah. big question: how to answer that question in the long term, I guess. Yeah, yeah, correct, 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 Good. correct. Excellent. So, thanks for answering all those questions so far. I'd like to end the podcast with a few quick fire questions. Obviously, this podcast is called Meet the Boss. Thought these questions are quite pertinent. So, Mark, who's the best boss you have ever had, and why? Okay. Well, I think it would probably have to be my first boss uh, when I started work in the early 90s and that was a guy called Steve Hollingbury and uh, Steve Hollingbury still works in the industry he's a he's become a very good friend of mine and he was somebody who sort of showed me the sort of ropes when I first started working in London took me under his wing gave me some real tough love and I'm pleased I'm pleased I mean I guess part of the reason why also that's that's really relevant to me is that his son now works for us which is right. which is great so awesome. that's all sort of come around full circle which is yeah. which is quite nice so Good. Excellent. What's the best and worst piece of career advice you've ever had? Okay. I'm going to say, as I was doing my doing my A-levels, uh, and I had the sixth form, thought I, rather than go to university, I should go and do something more vocationally based. And I was on the verge of taking up a position as a graduate surveyor on a, uh, for a house builder in South Wales. <laughs> Thankfully, a guy who I worked with over the summer for my father, who was a, a, a university graduate, convinced me that I should do the right thing and go to university, and I went to university. Perfect. And you think that encompasses both best and worst bit of advice you've been given? Um, I think so. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 well, yeah, I think that's. Yeah. I think that. I think that that's sort of, that, that covers both off. I've got quite a key key point in my career, really. And I think if I hadn't have gone to university back in the late '80s, that the chances are I'd have been made redundant during the a very deep recession mm. of yes. the late 80s and who knows where I would be. So yeah. right. I think that was probably good advice. Good, excellent. And then, Mark, I, um, I'm an avid reader. I'm sure a lot of people are. What was the best book from a business perspective you've ever read? So if you'd have asked me that six or seven years ago, I'd have said, I'd have said one of the Simon Sinek books because mm-hmm. uh, we've read an awful lot about him when we started our, our firm. And he, his, his TED Talks are fantastic. I'd recommend mm-hmm. them anybody but a couple of years ago i read a book called the future of the professions okay and why did i read that because we were at a sort of interesting point in our journey the journey of our firm thinking about what next and i saw the book i think advertised in the sunday times and it was a book that really sort of tried to challenge the notion of what professions are all about and what should drive them and surprise surprise it talks an awful lot about the advent of technology mm-hmm. and what professions need to do to make themselves relevant and how to embrace technology and if they they they, they don't how those professions could become redundant and i think it focuses on i think it's eight or ten key key professions sort of lawyer being one of them mm-hmm. quality surveyor sadly isn't but um, <laughs> surprise, uh, surprise. it's a really good book it's a really good book I'll look that one up. Thank you. Excellent. Future of the professions. I've got it somewhere. I can uh, send you a link to it and find it. Perfect. Thank you. Mark, that's great. Thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything you would like to add before we close this session? No, that's great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. That's been, that's been really good. Really good. good. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, Mark. Have a great week and day. Take care. Thanks.